This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Tonight is obviously your turn to choose, and you've chose to kick off 2019 with The Twins Effect. Yeah, um, the, a most unscholarly choice. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and um, it's been a bit of a weird start to the year already. I mean, we're sort of mere days into the new year, and we've all just like, have been greeted with the sad news of the passing of the legendary director Ringo Lam uh, who is one of those directors I sort of when I was coming up through sort of like getting into Hong Kong cinema and sort of graduating from watching sort of like kaiju movies and kung fu movies Ringo Lam was sort of like one of those gateway directors and led to people like John Woo and he's a director who's really worth, worth checking out I mean he makes a lot of sort of heroic gunplay movies and sort of gangster movies is what he's probably best known for and and I mean Stephen did you have a lot of familiarity with his work at all or? No I've got to be honest he's not a do- <laughs> so <laughs> when you prefaced it with like John Woo I guess you know where this was going yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't watched a lot of his films um, the on fire films um, city prison school I've um, I've seen them, but compared to his whole um, oeuvre, I, I have to say I'm woefully um, behind. Okay, something for the uh, cinema shame statement this year, maybe. Yeah, oh, cinema shame, an entire director of cinema shame. If you've obviously still totally discovered the work of Ringo Lam, I mean he's not only a fantastic director, but he also works a lot with Chang Yun Fat, make uh, which should obviously make him a director worth seeking out on that fact alone and. For myself, just if you're looking for like a starting point, um, I think first off you're best off watching 1987's City on Fire. This is a movie which I think a lot of people know mainly because of its direct influence on Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. But when you watch the film, you realise just how different that they are and perhaps there's like one or two scenes that mirrored in Reservoir Dogs. Um, here... Cherry and Fat plays an undercover cop investigating this gang of jewel thieves. Uh, the main sort of difference between this and Reservoir Dogs is the fact you actually get to see the heist in this one. But uh, it's where the the iconic Mexican standoff sequence came from, and the scene with um, Cherry and Fat running down the street was also mirrored by Tim Roth doing the same scene in Reservoir Dogs. Really great uh, sort of thriller movie, and one that I'm certainly looking forward to covering at some point on the podcast. Uh, next up, another Cherry on Fat movie would be Prison on Fire, which uh, was also f- followed with Prison on Fire 2. Um, again, Cherry on Fat, here supported by Tony Lung Carfei, who are two inmates in a Hong Kong prison, and it's just basically a, a prison movie. You probably notice with a lot of these titles that have the word fire, and if they don't have fire in them, there's probably going to be seen with fire in them, because Ringo Lam was sort of a, a little bit of a pyromaniac, we could say. That really sort of uh, can be seen in uh, 1992's Full Contact, which is a film we've talked about before. Again, another Cherry on Fat Stone vehicle, um, also starring Anthony Wong. And here, basically, 
Jerry Fat plays his criminal who's like wronged by his gang and sets out to get his revenge. And from there, we sort of move on to his sort of Hollywood years and he replaced working with Jerry Fat with working with John Claude Van Damme. He did a bunch of movies with him. And the while it can be sort of debatable because these aren't sort of like the golden era John Claude Van Damme movies. I think if you want to watch one of these three movies that he did with uh, Van Damme. I think Replicant is probably the most interesting where it's basically Van Damme once again tapping into that I want to fight myself uh, sort of kick that Jet Li went on with The One. Um, he also What uh, Ringo Lam also did with Jackie Chan in Twin Dragons with the two Jackie Chans. And um, with Replicant we have uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme playing this serial killer criminal who basically has a clone made of him who then has to hunt down the evil Jean-Claude Van Damme so it's an interesting movie but I don't know about yourself Stephen but whenever you have these sort of like actor versus themselves movies do you ever feel that they ever sort of work or is it just sort of like a sort of a mildly interesting hook I liked it in Superman 2 <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of it because I, I it's not, it's just not a, a, a riff I'm particularly into. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I get the idea of having one actor for the price of two. I understand that they do these things, um, but it is interesting that you point out that just about every martial arts stars had one, right? <laughs> I think I'm just I'm just going through my head now, and the only three that I can think of, as I said, would be John Claude Van Damme, Jet Li, and Jackie Chan have done the sort of double act. Um, thank God Steven Seagal never did it because you know one Steven Seagal's bad enough, never mind two of them. And Bruce Lee, no, he didn't well, live Bruce long Lee enough for that technology. Didn't have time. So. Sammo Hung hasn't. Donnie Yen hasn't yet. Yet, as far as I know, yeah, I'm. Because. <laughs> He still only looks about 40, so <laughs> he's probably got another 20 years left in him yet. I feel, I'm not sure if the trend sort of died out. I think it sort of peaked with Jet Li fighting the Temple of Lees in, uh, at the end of the one. I think that was that was sort of like, you know, we I think we've gone as far as these ego trips can really go. So, but yeah, uh, I, I agree. <laughs> But yeah, there's uh, certainly a starting point for you if you've yet to obviously discover the work of Ringo Lam. Sadly, um, another legend who's uh, sadly no longer with us. And I'm hoping that this isn't going to be enough of those years. What was it? I mean, what was it that we were looking at? Was it 2016, 2017, where it seems that you were losing a celebrity a week? Well, the year that started with David Bowie passing and and continue getting worse and worse, didn't it? Yeah, I'm really hoping it's not the same for sort of like Asian film. Well, no, we... I mean, I mean, Ringo was only in his early sixties, wasn't he? Yeah. So this does seem a bit before his time. Um, but obviously, he's part of a generation, a generation of that sort of golden age of Hong Kong cinema of the eighties and the nineties. You know, one of the first to go, um, but I suspect it's going to be another decade yet before we have the, the the real. You know, if we're still doing this podcast, we'll have one every time. I suspect. Yeah, I mean, he did obviously finish out his on fire series with Sky on Fire, which is in twenty sixteen, and at the time of his death, he was working on Eight and a Half, um, where it was uh, a bunch of directors, and they were 
each creating segments based on Hong Kong history. So whether that's actually still going to go ahead. Because, I mean, it's a really interesting collective of people that were working on it. Because you've got An Hu, John Wu, Su Hock, uh, Johnny Toh, Samuel Hung, and Young Wu Ping. So it's a real great collective of people there. And I really hope that they're able to finish it just because it'd be a nice end note for his career. But, I mean... Lam himself, I mean, he never used like Canto Pop in his productions. It was always very Western productions. And he was one of the few directors who went over and kind of made a career for himself. I mean, these weren't great movies he was doing, like In Hell and, as I said, Replicant. But um, they were certainly on the higher end of the sort of like the direct to video spectrum, certainly. So. But uh, yeah, we're. As I said, hopefully this doesn't mark a, a trend for the year ahead. Speaking of downers, though, uh, we obviously spoke in the last episode about the price break on these Zatoichi box sets. And uh seems that both myself and Stephen have got... Uh, I don't know, how can we put this politely? Um, disappointing news. Yeah, we, got, <laughs> we see some disappointing news from Amazon that... They were unable to supply uh, a stock, so unfortunately we wouldn't be getting those. So, so uh, if you want to obviously donate some bo- a box set of the uh, Satsuichi collection, it would be greatly received. And uh, we will be throwing up on the blog uh, a review from David, who uh, has done some reviews for the box set. Uh, so that should be going up on the blog soon. Um, you can obviously check out the blog, which has our full archive on there, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. You can also find it at thatmomentin.com as well, where we are proud members of the podcast network. So, I mean, did you... How was your, your sort of Christmas? I mean, did you get... Did uh, Krampus bring you all you wanted in terms of your Asian cinema watching, or...? I didn't get anything for Asian cinema watching wise. No, <laughs> no. I think I have more than enough without the Christmas having to um, having to help me out. I got some nice things. I had a nice time. Um, glad it's all over. <laughs> it's all back to normalcy now, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, the only the only thing it hasn't it hasn't come yet, but. Um, I noticed that uh, Arrow Video have announced a blu-ray collection of the ring films yeah ring ring naught ring and ring two along with is it spiral yeah spiral the alternate take on ring two really isn't it so well it's kind of interesting because it actually was released at the same time as ring um but one film took off and one film didn't even though there's they were like co-produced to be together mm. but it's it's a much more accurate version of the ring 2 novel anyway obviously i've got all these movies and i'm not even sure they're really gonna look fantastic on blu-ray but you know what i'm like for an arrow box set <laughs> they do they are they do know how to put a nice box set together um especially when they will only increase in value when they sell out of their initial run so as always i think if you if you don't own the ring box set i would say definitely pick this up now um, rather than trying waiting and trying to pick it up afterwards, but I think, like a lot of the box sets, these will be done as individual releases as well. Um, Spiral's a really interesting one because I'm right. I think I'm right in saying it was a TV movie. Um, it ended up being well, obviously, um, Hiddo's version of Ring Two just went went out in cinemas and was I don't know. It was interesting but very confusing at the same time. I'm not a huge fan of Ring 2, personally, so... 
Um, no, I, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of of Ring Two either. Um, it, it, it's uh, it doesn't really make sense compared to um, and compared to the um, to the first film. But no. you know, I do feel Nakata's a director that after he made um, Dark Water has seriously lost his mojo. But yeah, so I, there is a spiral TV show, but this, this the film that's in it is actually was actually a legitimate feature release, and like I say, they were released at the same time. It's much kind of a cinematic double header, the equivalent of a part one and a part two. But but for some reason Ring took it just got the attention of the world, and Spiral, I think even Arrow called it the forgotten film. But it's 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 the true sequel, and like I say, um, if if you're if you've read any of the the novels, um, it's fairly accurate, even though the ring isn't accurate to the novel of the ring. Hey ho, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they never made one of the third third novel, which is um quite good idea really because it goes into concepts of virtual realities and things like that, and just, just goes somewhere else completely. Cool. Um, also, from Eureka, they're going to be releasing Meals on Wheels, following on the from the success of the Project A box set that they did, and Once Upon a Time in China. So, uh, we've got more classic Jackie Chan hitting your way with uh, Meals on Wheels, which also features one of Chan's most sort of memorable fight sequence, where he fights uh, Benny the Jet. In sort of like, I think when people talk about like Chan's best sort of fight sequences, it's it's one of the ones that's constantly like brought up. So. Another film definitely worth discussing, worth checking out. Even though it does tend to get kind of overlooked, a lot of people when they think of sort of like the classic Jackie Chan movies, they want to talk about Police Story, they want to talk about Project A, uh, maybe like Drunken Master and uh, Snake in the Eagle Shadow. But they always seem to forget Meals and Wheels, and it's kind of a shame because it was really one of those popular titles when sort of Jackie Chan was sort of like having his breakout with sort of Hong Kong cinema fans. I remember sort of like when I was a kid, it was like one of those key titles that. Uh, everyone sort of like really recommended and um it kind of as the years have gone on it's kind of seemingly been forgotten so it's kind of nice to see it getting a little bit of a revival and a, a nice looking box set as well yeah it's I've, I've been collecting these as they've been coming out so they've we've had city hunter recently and um like you say the project a box set um also cinema uh, what are they called are they called 88 films yes have just done a couple of really strange obscure not particularly good Jackie Chan movies as well, but there's clearly a... Uh, is it Battle Creek Brawl, I think, is one of them? And Snake and Crane. Okay. Um, I, I, I haven't picked those two up, but they're really nice box sets, but 88 films just do really, really strange films. <laughs> they, they, like, go to the sort of films that no one, no one ever thinks of, but um, it's quite nice that it's all being preserved and presented in... In in really nice sets, to be honest with you. Well, it's funny that again we're seeing all the Eastern, uh, the Hong Kong legends sort of sets all just being re-released now through different labels, which is is kind of kind of amusing to see because as I said Battle Creek Bro, all the Jackie Chan movies they were all originally on Hong Kong Legends. Now they all seem to be getting picked up by different labels. So, am I right in assuming that Hong Kong Legends is now no more? Oh, I'm pretty certain that's the case. Yes. Well, well, Simon obviously may not have got a lot of uh, Asian cinema for Christmas, and you know, I'm sorry to hear that. 
but uh, you know, you think of a, you gave us the the world a gift, didn't you, Stephen? By uh, deciding to branch out from this show and you know to show that you're not just an Asian cinema guy and you've launched your own podcast now, uh, looking at world cinema. I have, so I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy being your sidekick here, of course. And everyone, don't worry, we're going to keep going on this. We've just been planning our hundredth episode, so <laughs> it's still going. But yeah, obviously. What the guys don't know is actually all the hard work you put into this, and really, I'm just a, I, I, I'm just the zoo. I'm just the guest that turns <laughs> up regularly and um, adds his two penneth worth. But I was, I was kind of interested in going through the process myself. Um, obviously, this is the Asian cinema place, so I didn't want to um, step on my own feet. Um, but I actually like films from all over the place, not just Asia. Um, so I thought I would put together for a year to start with. Let's see how it goes. My own podcast about, like as you say, world cinema. Um, it's different to this. It's scripted. It's 15, 20 minutes max. And basically each episode I visit a different country and pick a couple of films from that country. Um, and just give my uh, two penneth on it. And it's explained to you maybe these are films you're worth worth your time and hopefully over the year I'll get 20-25 episodes out and you'll have sort of 50 films or 49 considering the first episode I only talked about one film yeah. um, from, from all over the world um, but yeah it's all sort of a solo production I'm feeling very b- bullish about it at the moment because I'm obviously in that new year new year resolution kind of activity mode let's see how I do come June it's so good to be. It's always good this start of the year where you're sort of like in the it back in. Once you get back into work mode, once you get out of like food coma mode and get back into work mode, it's great. And the fact that it's dark outside because usually I find that the darker it gets, the stronger I I feel when it comes to work. And like when we get into summer months, you just don't want to do anything. So these are like the productive months right here. It's only downhill from here. Um, but I mean, what's the show called? That's the most important thing. What's okay? So. Uh, following on from my blog, uh, it's called the the Guelo Ramblings World Tour. It's on most platforms, I think now. Um, still waiting for iTunes, but it's on Spotify and on. Uh, it's all done through Anchor. Uh, if you just search for it, you will find it. So search for the Guelo Ramblings World Tour. And like I say, the whole one of the mission statements is that it remains quite short. Because whilst these podcasts, which are an hour long, two hours long, three hours long, are fine. I personally like a shorter one I can listen to on my way to work, that kind of thing, um, where it's it's not too much investment of your time. Um, but we will see how it goes. I've so far visited Spain and sort of visited Iran. The next episode will be Italy, and after that Sweden, and then after that, I don't know. So any feedback, suggestions, if anybody wants to join me, they're more than welcome. Well, that's cool. I mean, we will obviously be putting the link on the uh, with the episode, and you can obviously find that as well uh, by checking out the blog. the The link to uh, the podcast is all on there as well. Um, also, the, speaking of, uh, we're on the subject of uh, podcasts. Uh, I do also have to give a shout out to the podcast Wizard and the Bruiser, uh, who I've been kind of binging my way through their back catalogue. A really great show and. Basically, they're a couple of guys who just like to talk about their favorite sort of nerdy interests from video games and comic books and um, 
and movies and just basically anything that sort of like catches their interest. And the great thing about the show is that, uh, especially for old nerds like myself, is that they remind me of the of like the head nerds when you when you were a kid and before these pre-internet days and you used to go to like the comic book shop or the video store or the you know, the games workshop shop or whatever you happen to be at your nerdy fix and there would always be like the head nerdy guy who's normally like a a big fat guy with a beard and wearing normally all black and uh, he'd normally be like the funniest and the loudest guy in the store and just like command this audience with his overwhelming knowledge and that's what these guys remind me of it's a real throwback it's not these oh look how smart i am and i know everything sort of uh internet nerds that we uh, get now these are like proper old school nerds and that's why i really love the uh show so definitely if you're looking to add to their actually your podcast feed and you've already listened to all the steven shows then definitely give uh wisdom of bruiser bruiser a check um check them show out as well really great stuff on uh on theirs um we should also mention while we're talking about podcasts that buzzfeed are currently running a poll um asking you to name your favorite podcast now we can't nominate ourselves or we can't nominate our friends but you the listeners can choose to nominate us you know hint hint um which would be really great and uh and basically it's a a great way to let those little name podcasts get a little bit of attention uh which is why we've been sort of plugging our favorite podcasts on the twitter feed and the facebook just because there's a lot of shows out there who just like pump hundreds and hundreds of pounds into their promotion and just like dominate all the advertising space on on your podcast feeds and uh we thought it would be a way to sort of like restore the balance a bit by you know promoting the shows that we like so for ourselves i mean if you're obviously looking for recommendations for ourselves as to who we would personally put forward because i said we can't vote for ourselves but we'll happily vote for i know uh, the shows that we think are cool um i'd uh obviously just uh, give you a quick rundown now of uh of shows that are worth uh, checking out now so uh pens and paper at the ready and i would uh all these you can obviously find for our blog if you go to the community section which is on the sidebar uh you can obviously see all the shows that we're into but the real sort of main ones that we would uh, recommend checking out uh certainly for myself i don't know if you want to chime in Stephen, and add any more to this this list as i go um but i would recommend you know checking out the feminine critique emily and christine do a really great podcast a lot of horror based uh, stuff there really good stuff uh, obviously van over on cinema recall he's just a one-man podcaster machine he's just constantly churning out material and uh definitely one worth checking out if you like obscure pod films then uh definitely the forgotten film cast is worth checking out um and if you want to know all about exploding helicopters on film then check out exploding helicopters uh podcast and then if you like your sort of more sort of like a uh, group sort of cast uh then i would definitely recommend checking out e for simplistic reviews podcast or french toast sunday podcast and um of course our friends over the blade looking thieves who basically uh only further your sort of monthly dose of uh asian film goodness so that was who i'd uh personally recommend lucky uh sorry uh, steven is anyone you would want to throw out there for your sort of if you're talking about your favorite podcast anyone you particularly like listening to um in terms of cinema probably not so much i think you've covered everything that um 
I was just looking through my podcast feed, like the Blade Looking Thieves, absolutely. All our friends from the, that moment in gang, of course. Um, but I don't listen to a lot of film podcasts, to be honest with you, which is strange, isn't it? I have... I have I have other interests. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know what you mean. What I to, that's what I seem to listen to podcasts about. I was just looking. Yeah. Like, mine, mine are like um, sort of history and um, and retro computer gaming, and <laughs> not very many film at all. I know, uh, but there, it's it's there's something when you find it's always a good feeling when you find a, find like a new podcast with a decent back catalogue. So I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're not talking about film stuff, I mean that's weird. Uh, it's really good. To, sort of a podcast about serial killers and cryptozoology and just general weird stuff um or if you want to listen to the debatable podcast i think greg uh does a really great show just putting me to shame with just how he like commands an interview um over the debatable podcast definitely check him out uh he doesn't actually have a feed for on twitter but if you look at mr greggles uh you can find a, a link there for those ones as well but that would uh that's our little plug for our friends out there in podcast town um you know give them give them show them some love you know hit the subscribe button and uh definitely nominate them for the buzzfeed podcast list and you know let's try and get some decent get them some uh much the attention because they're doing great stuff but perhaps don't uh, have the funding to to get as noticed as they should be and maybe one day we'll advertise a mattress in a box as well <laughs> that's that's the dream right there. We're just going to we're going to, we're we're re- got great ambitions to take over that futon market, the futon market, the shaver market, the razor blade market, and the um the 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 food in a box that you have to cook yourself market. <laughs> have True. I covered them all? They're the main appetizers, right? That, that's what we do. basically. That's what we that's what we want to do. We just want to get like futons and mattresses and food sent to the office. That's all we need. <laughs> so but um yeah and uh you know back on to obviously back on to Asian cinema related topics now um it's of course time for the dark side of Asian cinema so it's uh time for me to pass the state has the I don't know pass the microphone pass the stage uh, it's time for me to pass things over to Stephen now, who has got another tale from the dark side of Asian cinema. The Asian film industry is like every other film industry. There are links to organised crime, suicides, murders, salacious gossip. In this occasional series, I'm going to have a look at the darker side of Asian cinema, tell you some tales about the famous names they don't always want you to hear. Today's tale is shorter than our usual episodes, a story of a young Chinese actress who only had a single leading role, a role that should have been the first step in becoming a martial arts superstar, but instead was a victim in a particularly grubby real-world story. Wing Chun is one of the better-known kung fu styles, practised to varying degrees by such luminaries as Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung. It's the style used by Robert Downey Jr. to help him battle his addictions. Legend talks of it being created in the Qing Dynasty by Shaolin Abbess. Ngui. Now Ngui was a master of many styles and the creator of several others. Legend says that she came across a 15-year-old girl, a tofu seller called Yim Wing Chun, 
who was being forced into marriage to a criminal. Ngwi taught her an easily learned, defensively based set of skills to help her, a set of skills that did not demand great physical strength. Over the years she built on these skills and her style continued on down the ages. One of the most famous proponents of this style was Ip Man, more made recently more famous by the Donnie Yen films and Wong Kar Wai's The Grand Master. And he had a somewhat famous student of his own, Lee Jun Fan, who most of you will probably know as Bruce Lee. Yim Wing Chun's story was clearly ripe for turning into entertainment. There are TV series from 1994 and 2006. There is, of course, the 1994 action comedy film Wing Chun, starring Michelle Yeoh in the titular role, supported by Donnie Yen and Cheng Pei Pei as Ng Wee. And then we have 2010's Kung Fu Wing Chun. It's very much in the comedy genre, almost a throwback to martial arts films from a decade earlier, quite different to its contemporaries such as those Ip Man films I was talking about, which had brought about a renewed interest in Wing Chun and therefore created a perceived need for this film. Reviews are mixed, but everyone pretty much agrees that the star, a young newcomer called Bai Jing, was the main draw. Cute and attractive, a comedic twinkle in her eye, the 26-year-old also had genuine martial arts credentials, having studied under Ip Chun the oldest son of Ip Man, and indeed she was Ip Chun's first personal disciple. Now up to this point, Bai Jing was little more than a supporting cast member in a bunch of forgettable TV series and movies, but Kung Fu Wing Chun made her what should have been a bankable star, maybe someone that could be the female lead for a new generation of female action stars that was and is severely lacking today. She was even hailed by some as the successor to Michelle Yeoh. Why didn't this happen? Well, because by early 2012, within two years of her big career break, Bai Jing would be dead. On February the 28th, 2012, in their high-end apartment in a swanky area of Beijing, she was stabbed to death by her husband, who then proceeded to kill himself. The whys and wherefores of this murder-suicide, however, are still muddled by rumour and scandal. She'd met her husband, successful real estate developer Zhu Chenghai, back in 2004, and they had married in 2010. Zhu had divorced his wife and invested millions of renminbi into his young wife's career. But all was not well between the two. Accounts suggest Bai Jing had seemingly been unaware of Zhu's previous marriage and the fact he had a son from that relationship. Seemingly, he'd even lied about his age. Bai Jing had complained to her friends that Zhu was both physically abusive and was a serial adulterer. But the story gets even more murky the more you hunt for details. Bai Jing apparently had a triad boyfriend, Cao Yu and the pair had plotted to use a prostitute to trick Zhu into an affair and blackmail him out of millions of renminbi and a divorce, and even more strangely, an Audi A8. Zhu's mother had recently passed away, and this was said to have been deeply affected his mood, and the gossip was that she'd actually found out about the blackmail plot, and this had hastened her demise. 
Details are, I'm afraid, hard to find, especially in English. So the real truth I may never uncover. Kwai Yu was eventually jailed for 11 years for his part in the blackmail fraud plot. The irony here is that Wing Chun, the martial art that made Bai Jing famous, even if it was just for a short time, was designed to protect a woman from the physical nature of an abusive man. And whatever the base reasons, it didn't protect her from her husband. On to our main segment now. And uh, tonight we obviously talk about The Twins Effect. Uh, this is a film from 2003. Uh, most noteworthy for starring the canto pop duo The Twins. Or is it just Twins? I think it's just Twins in capitals. Yeah. Um, comprised of Gillian Chung and Charlene Choi. Um, so this was... I mean, we shouldn't be surprised at this point, the fact that we've got a canto pop duo making a film because as we as we know especially in like hong kong cinema the fact that you can't just be like a singer or an actor you have to wear many hats and we see it like most prolifically through like jackie chan who i think in thunderball he sings the theme tune he I think he directs he produces and stars in it so if you can uh, wear as many hats impossible in uh, hong kong cinema you're normally not doing too bad so the whole sort of concept to this was that uh, it was based around, around, around this canto pop duo who basically play the leading roles and uh, here we've got the film it's a vampire movie slash goofy love story um, the film itself it follows an evil vampire duke who seeks to kill and collect the blood of the royal family of European vampires in order to become all powerful. And the last surviving member of the family, Prince Kiziev, am I pronouncing that right? I th- that's as good as they're saying it. Okay. Um, <laughs> here, played by Edison Chung, he frees to Hong Kong with his servant Prada. Um, most of us will be played by Anthony Wong. And uh, so they escape to, to Hong Kong and. They're basically hiding out in this abandoned church. And at the same time, we've got the vampire hunter Reeve, here played by Ekin Chang, who's kind of in a bit of a slump because his last partner, uh, who he was romantically involved with, has just been killed by vampires. So he decides to train her younger sister, Gypsy, here played by Gillian Chung, who is basically going to take on her role and help him fight the vampire duke at the same time uh reeve's own sister helen here played by charlene Choi, um is kind of not too happy with the arrival of gypsy and caesar's kind of a rival and uh in a weird sort of like twist uh gets involved with kasaf and not realizing initially that he's a vampire but of course he's a good vampire and that's all that matters and uh ultimately we build to uh, Helen and Gypsy teaming up to fight the evil vampire Duke, um, who is played by uh, Mickey Huddett. Is it Mikey? Is it Mickey? Um, I've, I've, I've no idea. I don't I've know. never heard of him or seen him before in my life. <laughs> played by some Euro trash. Um, so, yeah, this film's directed by Dan, Dante Lam and Donnie Yen. And it's also noteworthy for featuring a extended cameo appearance by Jackie Chan, who plays uh, an ambulance driver. And uh, my favourite part in the titles being that it features a special friendly appearance by Karen Mock. 
Indeed, um, very friendly. <laughs> what the hell is a special friendly appearance? I've no idea. This film's this film's just bad as a box of ferrets, isn't it? And that just sums it up. So yeah, so Karen Mock here it plays Ivy. Um so <laughs> if you're a Karen Mock <laughs> fan, something to be excited about there. She's um, got a great three minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, Stephen, why did you, you choose to kick off twenty nineteen with the va- the with uh, kick off twenty nineteen with the twins effect? Because I love the twins effect. I love everything about it. Um, so you did a fabulous job there trying to describe the plot <laughs> and all the characters. <laughs> um, so it's basically a it's a star vehicle that's got sort of Buffy like overtones yeah um with a bunch of quite high profile guest stars and and co-stars um you know jackie chow being the obvious one but uh, you know karen mock and um isn't isn't and jc ho aren't anything to uh to sniff at um you've got some big stars of cinema in ikin cheng is is a big deal i mean a lot of people think he's very wooden but he's a very handsome fellow and <laughs> and, and is very popular um, Edison Chen at the time was a rising star of music, streetwear, and acting. Although, as we talked about before, and I will talk about again in a future episode, not such a nice guy. Now, <laughs> and then what we have also is in Dante Lam, we have someone who's at this point in his career, he's a fairly popular director of fairly good films is going to go on to be an international superstar. And, of course, we've got Donnie Yen as... They call it the co-director, but clearly he's the action director. Yeah. Um, all in a in a really quite slick package, I think. I mean, the CGI isn't terrible. The fight scenes are pretty good when you think what Donnie's had to work with. Um, and even though the pair of them this is not either of their best acting roles. <laughs> they bring what they were. I mean, I don't know if you know the Twins music. It's dreadful. It's dreadful canto pop, and canto pop's a really difficult thing to learn to love anyway. It's also um, on the next mixtape, so something to look forward <laughs> to there. I mean, I, I've got some twin stuff, but I couldn't hum you a song. The theme song to this isn't bad, though. Jackie and the Twins singing it. Um, but it does showcase them in the sense they're two very different people. So Charlene's the sort of the cutie pixie girl type that, that we've talked about before. And then um, Gillian's the sort of the, the, they say, they even say this in the making of, she's the attractive one. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, you know, she, she, she's bringing a different sort of audience to it. Um, I think you call them the sweaties, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, they're, but they're bringing their own individual personalities to it. Now, I might talk later about what they come to. But fundamentally, this film should have been a complete mess. Or it could have been like one of those New Year's comedies that, that they like had shoving out in January and February in Hong Kong, where um, it's just a bunch of guest stars and it's all fairly nonsensical and, you know, 
again we might talk about some of them at a future episode but I think it's a really solid film um, it's got vampires in it it's got a bit of romance it's got a bit of comedy it's got a bit of Jackie Chan it's got some decent action um, and I remember when I watched it way back when for the first time I was utterly charmed by it watching it again this week for this maybe some of the lustre has gone but I still had an enjoyable time with it what did oh, yeah. you think of it? I thought it was, a, it was a lot of goofy fun um, because yes it is, on one hand it is obviously like a vampire movie and on the other hand it's sort of like this goofy sort of love story it's sort of like I like you but not not really he 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 sort of like a style movie where they basically there's a lot of uh, faffing around with the two main sort of main couples because here obviously Gypsy and Reeve uh, doing their thing um, and then we got Kazab and Helen who are doing their thing so you see a lot of uh, sort of back and forth and flirting and and whatnot, and it's all broken up with with uh, sort of vampire slaying action. And it should be noticed that noted that these vampires like don't follow any sort of like traditional rules, essentially, because they're being run through uh, by the main weapon of choice of uh, both Reeve and Gypsy, which is a sword that also turns into a grappling hook. Now, in traditional vampire lore, silver can't kill vampires. Um, but here it seems to work okay, but they don't ever seem to like use stakes and stuff. It's just basically they they slash them up and then they turn to to turn to dust. And it was a little confusing, really, where the sort of vampire rules sort of fall because obviously Eastern vampires fall completely different set of rules to Western vampires. Uh, Western vampires, I think we all know, you know, it's stakes, sunlight, garlic, um, and Eastern vampires are more sort of affected by elementals. And uh, I think right off the bat, one of my recommendations for this would be um, uh, Rigor Mortis. Oh, yes, the modern one. Yes. Yeah, uh, Rigor Mortis obviously is a, sort of goes into a lot of, sort of these these details of uh, what affects sort of Eastern vampires. And I think that's another film that we're probably going to cover on a future episode. Because it was recommended to me and I thought it was pretty cool. So um, it's definitely one that I want to try and work into this season so look out for that one um but you know it was it was a lot of fun um the jackie chan sequences i mean they they basically worked him in because you know at the time he was sort of like a really hot property and i'm trying to remember really when he was sort of like making waves in in sort of like hollywood because i mean it's really sort of towards the end of the 90s really he was sort of making that sort of impact really wasn't it so it was now. There's also there's also two other things involved. He, I think he just made a film with Donnie Yen. Um, again, if you look on the making of, which is on the DVD I've got, probably yours as well. Um, it's clearly there's a burgeoning respect between the two. Yeah. Which I don't think had always been the case. I mean, Donnie Yen has not always been the super respected superstar that maybe we consider him these days. Um, but I think he'd started proving himself as a director and an action director and shown himself to... And, and later on, he actually showed himself to be a, quite a good actor, but that's not what he was famous for at this time. He was just a, a martial artist on film. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, do not underestimate how big twins were and in 2003 in Hong Kong and in, in the wider Asian experience. They were the Spice Girls. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and indeed, they're still they're still together now. Gillian's um, issues with Edison's activities and as part of that that scandal, kind of buried it a bit, and they've both forged somewhat separate careers. And and Charlene is now probably just as famous for being acting in films of all sorts than her music career but they weren't massive so actually Jackie Chan himself probably would want to have been part of this this was a this was a big deal this isn't their first film that they've acted in together but it's certainly the the one with the most scale and scope and high budget um, because it doesn't look like a cheap old film does it oh no I mean this is definitely a classy production and I mean, when we talk about the use of CGI here, I find that when we look at Asian cinema, the use of CGI is very different than when we look at Western cinema, uh, where CGI seems like a, be there to cut corners. It never seems to have the same sort of gloss or the same sort of feel that we obviously see in Eastern cinema when we look at things such as... Um, oh, such as Kishen, for in a prime example, which feels like I think it's like eighty five percent CGI in that sequence, but it looks absolutely stunning the way it sort of blends into sort of the real life, uh, real acting. And here again, I mean, the CGI work doesn't ever detract from it; it sort of adds to uh, the fun here. And I mean, this is very clearly a wire work movie. Um, so you obviously see both uh, Charlene and Gillian doing some extraordinary things as they fly through the air and kick vampires in the face. But I mean. Yes, they are perhaps not martial artists, but they're still they're still putting across uh, a performance which is 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 not uh, horrible to look at. It's still look it's still fun to see them uh, fighting vampires, and yeah, it's as I say, it's, it's an interesting movie just tonally because as I say, it's not just a straight vampire movie, and it's not sort of like a straight romantic movie, and it just goes in some very interesting directors directions throughout the film, and it is just. Just as I said at the start, this is just a lot of goofy fun. Um, and I can understand. I mean, Jackie Chan at the time, he's 2003, so he's sort of coming to the end of his sort of Hollywood prime sort of years because he's doing stuff like the Tuxedo and the Medallion in Hollywood, and he sort of comes back to do like to Hong Kong, and he's sort of like, you know, there's still this incredibly big name. I mean, he's still got this legendary status in in Hong Kong, would you say? Oh, oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's he's the local boy done good. I mean, it's, this is before he became a tit and uh, mouthpiece for the Chinese Communist Party. But that's again story <laughs> for another day. But uh, this time, you know, he's at he's at the peak of his fame internationally. Um, that's why there's a UK DVD of it. I can promise you, it's not because of Charlene and um, Gillian. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's because there's a there's a Jackie Chan cameo in it um, for sure. Oh yeah, and it, I mean, it's so amusing when you when you see that his sort of like standout sequence here because obviously he does some like comedic work where he's getting married and they do uh, some 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 like comedic work there, and then we have his sort of big standout stunt sequence, which is a ambulance chase. Um, where you have these two vampires sort of pursuing them on motorcycles, and it's really funny when you look at the scene. You can see the scenes where the ambulance clearly isn't moving, and then the scene you contrast it with the scenes where like Chan's hanging out the side of the ambulance and doing his bit. So it's kind of amusing to see the uh, the contrasting sequences there. 
Indeed. I also, I, sorry, we were talking about the stars, you know, like Karen yeah. Brooks, three minutes. So it's, she's very entertaining in it, and she, she's in that sort of comedy sequence, isn't she, at, the, at this wedding. Um, I forgot Chapman Toe is in it at the beginning as um, Helen's ex-boyfriend. Um, so Chapman Toe might not be a name that everybody knows, but he's one of those faces that's in just about every single... Hong Kong film made since the year 2000 um, and he's like a Hong Kong celebrity so he's not just an actor but he's like a comedian a radio host um, so again there's another famous face and of course the one I did forget which you did mention is Anthony Wong who is one of those people you can just put into any film and he makes it better he plays this um, uh, it's sort of an advisor to Kazaf, yeah, he? he's his right hand <laughs> man, and I mean, this is again, this is a uh, rare good guy role for Anthony Wong, and Anthony Wong is awesome in everything. That's all you need to know about Anthony Wong. He's he's never bad, and here he's he's mainly there for the comedic relief in this one, and I think every scene he's in is just really really funny. Um, there's a scene where Kazaf is trying to find the he arranges to go on a date with Helen but he mixes up the time so he arranges it for midday rather than midnight and uh, they're trying to come up with this bomb and he's sort of like mixing all these actually one's like mixing all these like ingredients together and he's sort of like oh yeah be ready in like uh, you know 20 years because we've got to leave it on the sun to get incredibly potent and I think it's a... just 300 years doesn't he oh yes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very dry, he's very detached and aloof, but there's a wink a wink of his eye and a sparkle going on, and um, yeah, I, I, there's, a, there's a fantastic bit, have you seen in the in the final credits where there's the bit where he's with the, um, the estate yeah. agent? It's so bizarre, the end credits this movie, because it's just basically deceit, deleted scenes from the film, <laughs> and Jackie Chan's usual outtakes, and it's not like, only... I mean, the only other film I've seen this sort of done where they've included the deleted scenes is in the end of Godzilla Final Wars where you get all the deleted scenes. You do, you do. But again, it's all to me, it's all sort of the part of the part of the package. It's just that final... It's really funny. And it would have worked in the film. And I believe in the original Hong Kong cop, that is part of the film. But yeah, he's trying to, he's trying to suck the blood of this girl and he can't. He can't get his... Teeth out. He gets basically. Um, he basically <laughs> he gets, has vampire impotence. He gets vampire impotence, and then they just <clears throat> turn it around, and it's sort of playing on the whole vampire as sexy, you know, thing that Twilight would do a few yeah. years later. She turns around and sort of basically says, "Oh, you always like this. You'd be my first <laughs> And it's just, it's just a gloriously brilliant scene that stands up on its own. Um, and you think, why did they cut that? <laughs> I know what you're saying, and I mean, they have that really great scene as well where um, where they're talking about where he's like questioning why he wants to date human women. He's like, why don't you date vampire women? All you need to do is raise your hand and they're there. Um, but yeah, Anthony Wong is just one of those those enigmas of, of uh, Hong Kong cinema. I mean, the fact that he can play the most horrible villainous roles, and then at the same time you can have him play these really comedic roles like we're seeing here. And uh, it's so bizarre. I mean, I was trying to... The whole time I'm, like, watching it, and the performance he gives here is very similar to sort of, like, the comedic roles of, like, Jean Reno. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of very sort of, um 
that's the sort of style performance he's given here. And but he was definitely a highlight for myself. I think every time he was on the screen, it was just like it was just a bit of joy. I mean, he, he's one of my favourite actors. Period. Um, but to see him having a bit of fun here as well is nice because I think Jean Reno's a very good um, example because you know they're both not exactly blessed with great looks and you know the, the, the way they look um, would align them to bad evil roles wouldn't it yeah. and in fact Anthony Wong has complained about this because Anthony Wong's actually half white um, he's Welsh I think his dad or his mother is Welsh or, um, which is why he appears in ITV dramas sometimes um <laughs> Just the once. It's not like he's made a career <laughs> well, out of ITV he's, dramas. He's been in. He's been in some British films as well. Anyway, okay. um, he uh, and I think he really struggled. And he thought, you know, a lot of it was because he was a half cast, and also maybe in this, you know he hasn't been blessed with fantastic looks. But it's fantastic that both him and Jean Reno have been able to sort of kind of turn it around and um, actually turn themselves into cuddly, more heroic types. I mean, he's not actually heroic in this film, is he? I think he'd quite like to go back to the old way of drinking blood. <laughs> but his his new age king is <laughs> is driving him in another direction. Yeah. Um, now the whole sequence where we have Helen meet Kazaf in the restaurant, and as you you mentioned already, we've got uh, Chapman Tobe here as a as a a bold ex boyfriend, and he's there with his latest. Squeeze. Um, it's such a, a random scene that that they're in. The fact that um, she has like this this bizarre list of uh, circumstances which she can leave her, and um, at the same time that she that he's she's challenging him to cut off a small part of himself in order for him to be released from this romantic contract that he apparently was under. So. But again, there's some really great physical comedy there from both both Anthony Wong and and um, Etkin Chang. Oh, is it no um, Edison Chan? Yeah, yeah, Edison. And um, but there's some weird shit in there as well, isn't there? Because well, this is um, the thing I was questioning. I mean, it's how much is lost in translation here? Because he compares um, Charlene to the new girl, and does. And they have a different view of what's acceptable to be said, I think, in Hong Kong. For, I think we know this. I think we've talked about it before. Yeah. But he basically says, her breasts are bigger than yours. <laughs> and then he says, you're thick in places she isn't. Now, there might be things wrong with Charlene Choi. All right? You might not like the way she looks. You might find her personality annoying. But the one thing is, there's not an ounce of fat on that girl. <laughs> there can be no possible place where she's thick <laughs> it's like what a weird thing to say <laughs> but it's a it's a little um it's not very pc is it but you get a lot of that in this era of hong kong cinema where i mean you get it's not in this film but you know you'll get comedies which have rape jokes in it and you think was that ever funny well i think we've constantly i think we've constantly addressed the fact of things being lost in translation especially when it comes to humor when we look at the classic and uh the humor, the the etiquette of fart humor uh, for oh, for well, South classic Korea. Fart humor, poo humor, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, we, again, we see that sort of lower and more crass sort of humor here. But as you were saying, in South Korea, it's sort of seen as a higher level of comedy. Um, I mean, obviously, speaking of sort of ostracized actors because of their 
their heritage or ethnicity. Um, this film really should be noted for the amount of work it's given to white martial artists here who are basically cast as you are trash vampires. So, I mean, we've got people like Bay Logan here, we've got Mark Strange, um, you've got and, uh, Matthew Sturgis, Philip Ning, uh, Don Ferguson. So, we've got these all these sort of like uh, white martial artists who are sort of drafted in to play these European vampires here. And I mean, how did you find the sort of European vampires here? Because I mean, every time they're on the screen, they always seem to, when they're not fighting, they always seem to line up like they're going to burst into a big dance routine or something. Yeah, are we allowed to sort of say Bay Logan's in it anymore? I didn't know if he was a persona non grata these days. <laughs> I but, mean, um... <laughs> I mean, would this, should, I mean, should we address the amount of scandal that is attached to this movie? I mean, you obviously mentioned already we got Jillian Chung who was um, caught up in. She's been caught up in two photo scandals, really, hasn't she? Now so. she has. So there was one where somebody took a photo of her in a changing room, which is wrong. You know, she but she didn't do anything wrong there. Well, she didn't do anything wrong. Full stop. But then, of course, we have Edison Chen's um, the the nude photos of not just with her, but with various Hong Kong actresses and singers, and a couple of Taiwanese ones as well. I think um, that caused a great debate in Hong Kong um, both against it basically killed Edison's career yeah. dead um, it caused great shame to the females involved including the ones that were married um, but I think Gillian probably suffered more than anybody well, um, I mean, yeah because I mean she obviously had at this point she has this image as this silk squeaky queen, clean pop star and this is like the second time that she's been photographed in a compromising position. Um, I mean, she she publicly apologised for being naive and silly. And her subsequent television appearance on Jade Solid Gold um, apparently received over 500 complaints to uh, TVB. And uh, while the Hong Kong Broadcasting Authority received over 1,200 um, leading to various promotions to be cancelled. I mean, she was supposed to be performing as part of the 2008 Summer Olympics opening, but uh, Zhang Zemo dropped her. Um, and uh, yeah, she basically just had this huge knock-on effect on, on, on her career. Yeah, and it, it took a few years for her to recover. I mean, Twins eventually got back together. She's she's still acting now. She's she's done some solo albums. Twins are still going. Um, I think it's been a couple of years now since their last album, but, you know, they're still a thing. But it also opened up... So I, I think she suffered much more than Cecilia Chung and the others suffered. Um, but it also opened up a huge debate in Hong Kong about privacy laws, um, about the scandal rags. So... I, think I talked in the Anita Mui episode of um, Dark Tales about how these these film and television celebrity magazines hounded her and it opened up a debate in Hong Kong about privacy and paparazzi and things like that um, and you do wonder if this had been in the West well we've had we kind of had it didn't we with the uh, the iCloud hacks that it hasn't really hurt Jennifer Lawrence at all has it having similar photos put out I think so, yeah a different standard a different cultural acceptance a different time maybe it also depends on who you are 
um, because there are there are obviously many examples with Western celebrities having photos late. I mean, we had the old photo hacking scandal. I mean, Vanessa Hudgens, who was obviously under contract for the House of Mouse um, and Disney, she. When that sort of came out, they were like looking at cancelling her contract, but it was only because of the success of High School Musical that she still kept her job. So I think it really depends on who you are and how important you are to the film industry, whether you your career, your career is able to withstand it or not. Because, um, but as I said, when it comes to sort of like Eastern, the Eastern um, act, actors and that, it, it's, it's, as you were saying, it's a completely different sort of field over there because they're very sort of sensitive to um to sort of nudity and pornography and things like that so it's it's seen a lot more serious i'm right in saying i think i think so and we've also got to remember in jillian's case who what she was part of she was part of twins twins was a band not a band it's a couple of girls singing um their their main fan base is going to be younger people yeah. young girls um they're very much trading as girls next door so if you've seen any of their earlier films they're very much trading on this girl next door kind of image wholesome um and nude photos having sex with um edison chen doesn't really fit that image but i do feel you know i do feel she was the one that really suffered Edison obviously suffered, but as I will talk about in a future episode, this is but one of many scandals related to Edison. Uh, I mean, should we should we quickly go over his many? Because I mean, this is two thousand and three, and he celebrates the success of this movie. Because I mean, this was a I'm right in saying this was a hit in in uh, its native Hong Kong. Oh, indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, he's um, <laughs> I, I think I, I think he's actually um. His English is superb. I think he was actually born in Canada. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's a Hong Kong Canadian. So is Charlene Choi, actually. So there's a, there's a lot of crossover there between Hong Kong and Canada because a lot of Hong Kongians go to uh, Canada for reasons. So, so yeah, t- first of all, his many incidents, as Stephen pointed out already, we've got the 2004... Um, Assault incident where two teenagers mock Chen with dance moves outside a record store, basically going to a scuffle with them. Um, so, yeah, that's that wasn't a good start. And then 2007, we have the taxi incident uh, where he got into an argument with, uh, <laughs> with a taxi driver. Um, yeah, so in 2008, we've obviously got the, the sex photo scandal coming out here. So, I can't imagine that uh, that really did did uh, did wonders for his career either. I mean, is it sort of well, different for male performers no, than it is for female it, performers? It destroyed his career. He um, he had to restart, but that might have destroyed his career. But it doesn't stop his actions, does it? <laughs> <laughs> so if I can take over, yeah. <laughs> in 2011, there's another photo scandal, and this is even worse. Because it's with a 16-year-old. Um, I'm not sure what the age of consent was, but he wasn't 16. And, uh, yeah. Uh, it, well, I don't think they were nude photos, but they are no, it's sort of intimate like, photos. It's, yeah, it basically, they they found out that uh, he had been 
messaging her, asking her to pose in both swimsuits and school uniforms. Um, now, there was no new photos that she said already. And uh, basically, but yeah, it's a 16-year-old Hong Kong model, Cami Tees. Um, and yep. there's a lot of... <laughs> there's a whole rabbit hole of bad stuff that um, attached to that one, so... Yeah, <laughs> and then in 2014, he's got another girlfriend... And some fan came up and said, oh, look, it's Edison. He's still got some fans. And while she's taking a picture of him, he stuck his middle finger up at her. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's just not what you do, you know, if you're trying to recreate your career. And then, I, th- I know, I think we've got more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still and going. And then in 2015, he um, got into a fight at Shanghai Airport because someone cut in front of him. Now, <laughs> finally, he's done something which I can agree with. Yeah. Because... People at airports, all sense of decorum and standards do seem to disappear, especially when you're trying to board an aeroplane. So, well done, Edison. Beating somebody up who cut in line, I'm not too bad about, but he didn't get charged for it. And then, <laughs> the, the, the most ridiculous one of all, really. Um, so, Lin Chi Ling is a, quite a famous Taiwanese actress. Um, and for some reason on Weibo, which is like the Chinese version of Twitter... He made several posts saying that what she looked like, how she smelt, and what she'd done to become a celebrity. All down to the latest Chinese girlfriend, a supermodel no doubt, didn't like her very much. Yeah, I mean, the guy's a slimy bit of filth. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I see very few things other than the beating the person up at the airport, which is good. Although, to be fair... If you ever watch um, Edmund Pang's Trivial Matters, which is sort of a, it's a quite an early film from Edmund Pang, it's a sort of a lots of little tiny skits and segments. It's well worth seeing. He does play in it a really repulsive reptile of a human being, and you kind of think he's kind of saying, "Yeah, this is the me that you know," and so he has that element of. Um, of self self awareness, maybe. Well, he just sort of brings it upon himself. I mean, if we if we look at the whole Lin Ch- uh, Chai Ling sort of case, the fact is that he chooses to respond to the threat of legal action by by posting on Weibo, "Woo, that was a close call." Think about what happened in the past few days and ask yourself, why don't they just sue me? You don't ask people to sue you. It's, it's it's almost Trumpian, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's amazing. Now, to be fair, <laughs> I do believe he's kind of calmed down a bit. So I think he's, <laughs> got, he's married. got nothing left. I think there's he's no got more bridges to burn. I think I think actually, his um, music career is also taking off again a bit, and he's in a film next year or well, this year. This is 2019, isn't yep. it? 2019. So they're, they're, they're doing a. A sequel to Initial D, which is a it's probably one of the probably his most famous film that he was in, actually, to be fair. Um so he is maybe coming back, but quite I mean, I've been very lucky at Eastern Kicks to meet a lot of directors and actors and actresses, and I can honestly tell you, without exception, they've all been lovely. Just really nice, humble, genuine human beings. You can even look at the... I keep talking about the DVD extra. There's an interview with um, Ikin Cheng, 
who's a man who has been pilloried in the press for just being good looking and nothing else. <laughs> so he's not meant to, you know, he, he he has some wooden roles. And also his wife, um, Gigi Lung, is very famous. It's almost as if he's he's famous just because he's good looking. But the guy is so humble and so self-effacing. And that is just what you expect these people to be like. And I think they genuinely are. And Edison is just the opposite of that. He's like this hot-headed, repulsive person. I mean, how old is the guy? He's um, just late early, 30s. Let's see, Edison Chang, he is born... He's 38. He's yeah. 1980, he was born. So. Yeah. So, grow up, dude. <laughs> Please. But, I mean, this is a man who wears a lot of hats again. He's an actor, rapper, singer, songwriter, producer, entrepreneur, artist, and fashion designer. Um, Indeed. And, I mean, uh, yeah. Like, like I say, we'll be talking a bit about him again sometime. He's got he's got an interesting body of work. Oh, yeah, I, I saw somewhere, I was watching a, I was watching a documentary about him on YouTube, and they called him rapper, actor, and streetwear idol. <laughs> I just, what's, a, what's a streetwear idol? I think it's a man who wears tracksuits in public. But okay. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, looking at his uh, Wikipedia page, he's really happy with that shoe. <laughs> he is indeed. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, he, the, the shame is, is that he came to prominence at a time where Hong Kong and Chinese cinema as a, as a wider piece was looking for those next names those you know that everything comes in fours doesn't it with yeah. um, in, in in china so you know we're coming to the end of um the last before the andy lau the leon lay and, and and that lot you know we're looking for who are the young new faces and you've got obvious people like sean Yu, who you'll see in thousands of films at this age um and, and and Edison could have been part of that. So like you said, he's got lots of hats on. He's a good-looking fellow. He's, he's, you know, actually he seems to be quite charming and funny. So, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunity for him here. And he blew it. You know, he he blew it in a big way. And in a way, that's almost the tragedy because, you know, because of what he could have been. Um, but no, not a fan. <laughs> Um, have we got anything else to say about Twins Effect? Oh, I think we've moved on from Twins Effect. Okay. However, what I you know, what I will say, you know, I, 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 I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. For what definitely. it is, it is not, and and you know, it's one of those times where I'm not bringing you down an art house rabbit hole. Um, I'm not challenging anybody in any way. I, I, I honestly think it's it's just a genuinely good fun film, and actually in parts. I mean, like the opening sequence on the subway train, it's bloody brilliant. You know, it's a it's it's a Buffy stroke um, blade kind of thing going on. Yeah, definitely. And if but if you can you know if you can handle that and you can handle the fact that it will go off into funny little romantic comedy and it's a bit Hong Kongian in the way it's set up, um, I think it's hugely entertaining and for a vehicle for a pop group. It's unprecedented. It's better than the Spice Girls movie, right? <laughs> it could be worse than the Spice Girls movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it perhaps is a little over excessive in its use of slow motion. 
But um, yeah, it's definitely fun. I mean, now she said already. John the... Woo, John Woo, come on. <laughs> no, John Woo's John Woo's used to slow motion is completely different than this. This is <laughs> the fact that we got someone to do a kick and you can go off making cup of tea and come back and they still haven't landed it. Yeah, it's maybe, like... maybe because they're not very good at it, mate, and they're trying to hide it. <laughs> People magically flying for the air. Yeah, it's 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 some very goofy fun. It's not the most groundbreaking film that you see, but it is a lot of fun to to watch. Um, it was followed up with the Twins Effect Two, which has got a completely different story, and, and is least... dreadful. Okay, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is dreadful. You're um, saying a film that stars Donnie Yen, Wilson Chen, Fan Bing Bing, Jin Chin, Jackie Chan, and his son J C Chan, as well as Tony Lung Cafe, can be if awful. If you want to watch it for stargazing, fine. Yeah, but it is. I remember I wrote the review for it on on my blog <laughs> years ago, and I couldn't find words, so I just used you know that the you know like when you have like the the fake Latin that you put in when you do typesetting to get the shape of a page right. No, literally, <laughs> I just I just pasted a load of that in because that's the only way I could make sense of it. So yeah, watch it with the sound turned down. Say hey, look, there's there's little Tony, there's Donnie Yen, and leave it at that there's actually a third film called twins mission which is i can't even remember how bad it is so it's probably not as bad as the second one but it's not okay. as good as this one um so further viewing if you want to watch something better than the sequel what do you recommend okay so actually what i'd gone for i'd gone for two films um and also one not to watch okay but you've already you've already picked the one not to watch which is the sequel right um, so charlene Choi actually has gone on to do some really good stuff and now she's a you know in in the film that we've just talked about and in her earlier film she was very much playing on the cutesy girl next door the the pixie dream girl thing um can be a bit annoying but she's taken more and more challenging roles she still does the cutesy stuff she still does the comedies and things like that um in fact i'm going to suggest a whole bunch of films she certainly formed a relationship with Ekin Cheng and they did the um, My Wife is 18 and its sequel where Ekin Chen, who's actually in his 40s, marries her. I think we've talked about it before, actually. Um, but it's really good. <laughs> but that's not the film I'm choosing. The film I'm choosing is Oxide Pang's Diary. So Oxide Pang is one of the brothers, the, the Pang brothers who made the eye. Diary is this sort of psychological thriller. Um she plays the main role Sean Yu who I've already talked about is in it um, and basically it's about a girl with a mental illness um, it's one of the best Pang Brothers films um, outside of the eye because they did do good films other than the eye regardless of what anyone tells you um, <laughs> if you can track that down it's really really good and might be a film I might bring to another episode um, Gillian Blesser isn't the world's greatest actress. She's quite wooden. She's been in a lot of films, but you will not find a film where it says, gosh, Gillian's acting was brilliant in it. With one notable exception. I talked about Edmund Pang um, a bit earlier, or Pang Ho Chung, as he's known locally. Um, 2004's Beyond Our Ken. It's a drama. This is 2004, not 2008, when I start describing it. Um... She get dumped by her boyfriend, um, Daniel Wu, 
and then finds out that Daniel Wu's uploaded nude photos of her to a website. <laughs> this is life imitating, art imitating life before life has even happened. Um, but it's a really solid drama. Gillian's really good in it. Um, it, it she's been in a couple of um, Ebon Pung's films and he seems to be able to get the best out of her. So it's fantastic because of how it echoes what is going to happen in the future but it's a really good drama and really worth tracking down so yeah diary and beyond our ken fantastic um for myself uh i think we mentioned already regal mortis uh from 2015 uh this is a film directed by uh juno, oh, juno mac. mac yeah and uh starring anthony chan who is for myself best known for starring in kindergarten ninja um the film itself is a real sort of throwback to my other recommendation, which is Mr. Vampire, and uh, basically he's a washed-up movie star going to an abandoned apartment block to end his life, only to find himself plunged into a dark storm of supernatural chaos as ghosts, vampires, and zombies erupt out the housing block, plunging the residents into an apocalyptic fight for their lives. Uh, you can currently get this on Amazon Prime, and I believe it's on Shudder as well, so um, it is one of the easier ones to uh, get hold of, and uh, definitely one that I've heard that I've heard uh, people highly recommend it to myself, and uh, it's one that I really got a kick out of. Um, Mr. Vampire, a classic throwback to sort of my early days of getting into Hong Kong cinema. Um, this one's from 1985, directed by Ricky Lowe, and um, it's noteworthy because I mean it features hopping vampires, which are sort of like one of those key staples of Eastern vampire movies, and uh, something that you know it just works. And uh, I mean, do you ever when you try to explain like Eastern vampire movies to me? Do you mean do you have a a problem trying to explain why they hop? I always consider God, Mr. Vampire. I think was one of the first um, Hong Kong films I ever saw back way before I knew I liked Asian cinema. You know, back yeah. when I was a kid, so it's always been a very special film to me. But I've always considered what they call what we call the Eastern vampire is more like a zombie. Um, and, and therefore they hop because they their bodies are dead and they can't move their limbs or something like that. They don't. They're not. They're not really. They're not really vampires, are they? In in the way that not in, that not in a traditional sort of chance. But yeah. I mean, obviously, Ricky Lowe would go on to direct the direct uh, multiple sequels for for the series. He also directed Close Encounters of the Spooky Kind too, um, and Where's Officer Tuba if you want to really random deep dive into Summer Hung's career. Which I think is kind of worth checking out just for that name alone. But um, but yeah, those uh, were we'd obviously recommend for this one. Um, a fine selection to kick off 29, Stephen, so thank you for that one. Pleasure as always. So this brings us to the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. We hope you've enjoyed listening as always. Um, you can obviously follow us both on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we are on Twitter, it's at AC Film Club. And of course, you can check out our blog, uh, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, where you can find not only a complete archive of episodes, but you can also find um, the transcripts for Stephen's Dark Side of Asian Cinema. You can find anime reviews. We've got some film reviews up there as well from David uh, Brook, a blueprint review. And um, we also have the mixtapes, where we each month we put together the sort of songs that have been rattling around our head with uh, team member Steph. And uh, 
yeah, we uh, tried to expand on what we obviously do on the show already. So uh, definitely plenty of things to check out there. You can also check us out on uh, thatmomentin.com as well as the other great shows on the podcast network there as well. So uh, if you, wherever you happen to be listening to us, you know, give us a like, give us a rating and uh, give us some feedback as, you know, it, it really helps us to uh, promote the show, you know, way more than like, all the gold and uh, at the end of the rainbow. Just uh, just even a rating or some feedback uh, really just helps raise us, uh, raise, raise the profile of the show that a little bit more. And we appreciate uh, all of you who have been overseas supporting the show so far. Um, on the next episode, though, we will be having a special guest as we're going to be joined by Kim Lowe of Tranquil Dreams and Game Warp fame, as well as Movies and Tea. And uh, she's going to be obviously joining us to discuss uh, the film The Bullet Vanishes, which is uh, going to be super exciting. And we will also be revealing uh, the very special show we've got planned for episode 25. So all that's coming up on the next episode. But uh, until next time, I'd like to obviously say thank you to my co-host, Stephen. A pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. And uh, this is Edward Jones. Sign off for another edition. I'm wishing you all a good night. きのうの子には忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃えるよ思いを狂わすのさ昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ